Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBaud and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 28 for June 30th, 2009. There's been a lot going on recently, so we're getting back to our roots. Today we'll be covering great new nonprofit initiatives like Social Bright, The List of Change, and The Summer of Social Good. There's also some new research out, uh, tech news like Facebook URLs and social media action news. So really excited uh, for the panel today. So let's meet them. In the room with me today is Melanie Mathis, Public Relations Manager here at BlackBaud. Welcome back, Melanie. Thank you. Also joining us is Joe Meehan, the Manager of Database Administration from the Milken Institute. Welcome back, Joe. It's nice to be back. Yes, it's uh, coming to us from sunny Los Angeles. All right, and um, from Washington, D.C. is Michael Sola, Director of Institute Technology. Yes, Michael. Hi, Chad. It's been a long time, man. It's been. It's so nice to have you back. You're always just a pleasure to talk to. And uh, I know you had some exciting stuff happen last week. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're real excited to hear all about it. All right. And back for the second time is Frank Berry, our Director of Professional Services at BlackBaud. Welcome back, Frank. Thanks, Chad. Nice to be here. Yes, also from another sunny location in San Diego. Oh, uh, yeah. Enjoying the sun. Yeah. So you guys have skirted past the sun. Good weather. We're into like our winter here where it's 100 degrees every day. And Nice. You run to your car because it's hot. <laughs> All right. So anyway, I wanted to get into a couple big stories today, but uh, I think one of the big things that I just thought was so funny last week was the uh, Facebook vanity URL gold rush that happened. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, You know, if any of you guys grabbed them up for your orgs or for yourself. It was kind of a fun thing to do um, a couple Fridays ago, and then uh, they released the rest of them this weekend. I went and got mine and my wife, so well, you know we're, we're locked and loaded. Um <laughs> I didn't. One thing I thought was interesting that I saw was, um, I think it was Chris Brogan who didn't get his name. He got something like dot Chris Brogan or something really strange, just because. Nice. So I'm not quite sure why he did that, but I think most of the nonprofits that I've talked to have, you know, gone out and got their name and you know just so they can have it. And I think Google's going to index them and things like that. So it's probably a good idea to get it. That's what I was going to ask. What's the use case of using this? Are you you're talking to somebody in a you know at a reception or something, and you need to verbally tell people where your Facebook page is? I, I would think people who start to use it for printed materials more than anything else. Right. So I mean, if you look up for if you look under Joe Meehan, there's a couple of different Joe Means. There's you know some young guys, a soccer player, and there's a you know a high school football player and stuff like that. And so instead of having to go through search everything, you can say, oh, I'm Facebook you know, backslash Joe Meehan, especially for, for business cards or other printed materials. I think it's pretty easier. And for the Milken Institute, we did it as well, just to have consistency in the branding. So the Twitter, the, the LinkedIn, the Facebook is all the same. So why did Facebook do this? Why is it so important now to do this? Is it, does it have anything to do with the pressure from Twitter? Because MySpace did it. <laughs> because MySpace did it? Yeah, but MySpace yeah. did it like a year and a half, two years ago. I mean, maybe even longer than that. And, and I... I took. I think I made up some stupid name, not really realizing the potential. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess because Facebook, I actually have my real name, and it's you know, it's um, as opposed to a number stuff like that. But I think for for nonprofit organizations um, and any and and private business as well, I think it's good to have the consistency in the branding. I, but I like the redirect idea. That's very clever. Yeah, I mean, we just set those up. I mean, for for you know all of our social networks, just blackbot.com slash flickr, and so I assume every organization you know can do that as well with their with their domain. I mean, what else do uh, people need to know about these URLs? I did find out why the the dot thing. It's just that it the dots are just invisible. 
right? So that's why if you registered, you know, chad.norman is the exact same thing as Chad Norman. Um, so uh, test that out oh, on your own. I did not know that yeah, either. So you yeah. can type, type in, uh, you know, frank.berry, and that's what, if you did Frank Berry, it'll go to Frank Berry, right? So, uh, I see because I saw I saw that when you when you go to get your URL, it suggests like Frank.berry, and I'm all I don't yes. want a dot in there. Yeah, exactly. So I put my own in there, but I guess they're the same. Exactly. So I do recall there being a big push though that first day because there was concern about you know making sure we were online, grabbing them at midnight right. or whatever time the the whole thing opened up, you know to to lock those names in, and then that was that was a fun. Uh, process yeah it was sure. fun i mean who was who was everybody here up at midnight i know i was i i was yeah, me too. Absolutely. <laughs> some of us had just only had be up until nine o'clock oh, right. because oh. it was midnight east coast time so <laughs> yes. nine o'clock our time so gotcha yeah that was funny i remember everybody kind of being on twitter afterwards being like okay now we're all up now what <laughs> yep. just, I mean, how many gigs can <laughs> what can we do at midnight right all right well let's move on to something i know that's uh really near and dear to the heart of mr sola here and uh to myself and probably most of you on the call as well is the um the climate bill that was uh passed last week it's the american clean energy and security act um, or, or as we called it aces aces <laughs> it, it it made it made for an easy hash mark in twitter right nice. once, we, once we had aces down it was so simple to just keep typing that in i think for a little while there i i must have had a cut copy and paste thing going going for an hour straight it was it was pretty crazy that's awesome and michael Mm -hmm. i know you're a lot closer to this than me so uh, do you want to tell us what's in the bill absolutely well i I don't know if i could do the legal (laughs) i mean (laughs) we don't we don't want the legal (laughs) as i recall that 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 pdf file was really really big um Especially when it started getting passed around uh, electronically, or, or when they tried to actually kill a few, a few forests to print it. But basically, the, this bill was uh, for the first time legislation that's going to put in uh, uh, energy policy that reduces dependency on foreign oil, uh, builds a new and uh, domestic clean technology that's uh, manufacturing uh, a base to supply wind, solar, and other renewable energy. Uh, it's basically a significant step towards solving the global warming crisis by limiting the carbon pollution. Uh, and, and, and that was sort of the, the big push to get this out there. It didn't necessarily have everything that everybody wanted, and there was a lot of you know mucking around with the verbiage of the, of the bill itself. But for the most part, it got us to that next step in the process. And getting it past the House of Representatives uh, was historic in, in, the, uh, uh, in the effort, and the 219 to 212 bipartisan vote was definitely hard fought. The, the the activist office here at, at the National Wildlife Federation based in D.C. was really consumed with this bill for the longest time. And, and there was uh, I mean, we literally had a war room mentality that was that was going on within this group. And it was really exciting to uh, and a lot of pressure you know, to, from a technology perspective to make sure they had things in place to have, you know, instant access to have, uh, you know, the mobility to, to connect with people. At one point during the debate, it was kind of, it, it was funny, but then it was exciting at the same time. I remember walking into the lunchroom, they, they had the uh, C-SPAN up following the debate. There must have been five or six people sitting there in the lunchroom, you know, each of them with laptops. They're blogging on responses. They're Twittering on responses. They're sending Bulk emails out by the 
by the dozens trying to get people to uh, to call. Uh, leading up to this, we had a, we had our own internal phone bank system that was going on also online. But the but the use of the tools, especially on uh, on on Twitter and 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 the blogs, were just you know the, were, were key elements to getting this word out as quickly as possible. And and I think that was the 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 real big key with social networking was the immediacy factor. There was there was there was no uh, there was no hiding what was being said. As soon as something was said that either was wrong or or needed more explanation. And there were people on top of that as far as uh, getting the right information or what we felt was the points that needed to be shared with the public as far as getting them to vote and getting them to, to actually take action and, and call or, or uh, email. Or uh, in, in some cases, we had some legislators who were actually had their own site set up. Do you, you know, yes or no? They were actually, you know, soliciting feedback from uh their constituents as far as how they should vote for this bill. Uh, it was a very interesting process to watch, and the energy level was just intense. Right. It was a definite pressure cooker. Now, is this the most you've ever seen sort of technology woven into a campaign like this? Uh, it's it's the it's the most for me. I mean, for, from the being the tech guy, the head technologist for the group, you know, it was just exciting to to see these tools actually in use. Right. Um, and and I think uh, you know it kind of opened up the my eyes as far as making sure uh, on a mobility aspect of it. You know, did we have enough people with you know handheld uh, you know Twitter accounts on their mobiles? Were they able to uh, respond that way? Were, were they locked down to just their laptops? You know, I, I kind of I'm looking at the next step in the process, which is going to be the fight with the Senate and making sure we've got all of those tools in place so that we can take the, uh, the fight to that, to, you know, into a higher level than what we did with the House. Right. So then what were some of your concerns then as you went forward? <laughs> was it like literally like hardware? Was it uh, bandwidth, you know, making sure your pipes were big enough? Were there, were there processes involved as far, far as like Knowing, uh, letting everyone know who could blog, who could be live tweeting. You know, there, there was definitely a, a tremendous planning that went into this. Um, the 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 activism team that was there, the the interns that were uh, both given uh, talking points and scripts. Um, I mean, during the uh, the the phone banking process, where staff were engaged to call uh, people at, at different uh, time zones throughout the process um they they were actually uh you know we we had a well-crafted message that was out there a uh you know storylines that were well-crafted as far as the verbiage and and again just making sure that everybody was on the same page message wise uh and that we were all sort of you know hitting as many of the multi-channels as we could to get that word out and i think that was sort of the the, the key element there that made it successful I love hearing this perspective on how you know the technology was used inside your organization. Um, it's just you know such a such a unique angle. What about how you were asking your constituents to use technology on the outside? I noticed you had a um, the NWF had a climate action center set up. Is that sort of mm-hmm. where you the portal that you pointed everybody to as their single point of, of action for this campaign? Uh, my understanding was that that was the the point of entry, so that we were both distributing information and collecting contact information so that we can quickly engage people uh, as, as the need arise. Um, there, there was a uh, one, one point I remember where they were had collected a slew of different emails based on interests that they were – I had one intern in particular where we were sending out groups of, of, of messaging uh, based on what was being discussed at that point and trying to uh, uh, do a little of the segmentation uh, end of it so i'm not sure of exactly 
how that was all collected. I kind of walked into this thing uh, uh, sort of midstream, but it was it was kind of cool to see how they were targeting various folks based on what was happening at that particular point in time. I'd love to find out the metrics of the capturing of that information as far as what you can do with all those different ways of reaching people for the next big project. Kind of that. So, you know, you reached out to somebody from Twitter. Do they follow you? And then how do you you know, kind of develop like a donor profile or a prospect profile to see what else they're interested in? You know, that, I think that's amazing that you're able to reach out to people that quickly and that immediate you know, in active change, keep them updated. But I'd love to see the next step. How did you guys manage your success other than the passing of the bill? I know uh, you guys are, you know, especially Danielle is really big on metrics and everything. Uh, is there specific metrics you can, you can. Uh, and, and I wish she was here to answer that question. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but she's <laughs> got her a hard time. It. She was supposed to be here. <laughs> so when she's listening, it's like, this is your cue, Danielle. Yeah, jump right. in here right now. Write some me stuff out. on Twitter. Write uh, some stuff on Twitter. Exactly. Um, you know, and that's a good point because I, 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 I don't, uh, you know, from my perspective and, and, and what I've been involved with the organization, you know, I, I see that we do have still a lot of these individual separate systems that aren't necessarily flowing into one another. And that's a challenge for me. I mean, this, this is I'm basically in my second month now um, with NWF and, and learn. I mean, I'm still trying to find the bathroom on the second floor of the building. Um, but, but, you know, this, this is a big part of, of, of the challenge that we have because we do have these very different uh, focuses within the, the, the organization both, you know, here we have this big bill that's, that's happening national, and then let's not discount the fact that we've got a lot of regional activities that are happening. That, that's a whole different ballgame. Uh, but again, kind of using those same tools. But I think there's, there's a lot of data and, and a lot of this contact information that is still kept separately and independent, not all rolled into one. And that, and that for me is a challenge to try to figure out how to bring all that into one so we can then report back on the success and the metrics and, and look how people are being funneled through the process. What about reporting on your success to your audience, to your constituents and donors? Is this a big part of your messaging now going forward? Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, it was kind of interesting because, I mean, as soon as that bill was passed, I mean, we had we had people, um, they, they had already crafted the message either way. I mean, there, there was there was a, a draft A and draft B that was sitting there ready to go. Wow. Um, and, and it was that quick. As soon as that final vote Happen and it was kind of funny because we're all sitting in the big conference room. Um, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, the we haven't uh, we haven't fed anybody because we don't know what, which which way it's going to go. And, and uh, you know, there all the interns are in the back. They're holding hands. It's it was almost like a prayerful moment, and because it was like a twenty votes to go, and it was a ten vote difference, and it could have gone either way at that point. Um, and as soon as it uh, locked in, it was like this massive cry of relief, and you know, pop went the champagne, and out came the pizza, and everybody was happy. But the the message went out quickly. I mean, it was it was, it was interesting to see uh, the different points of messaging that went out between the the emails, the the tweets. Uh, it just happened like almost as soon as that uh, that vote went down. And, and it wasn't just us who picked up the messaging. Um, I, I started seeing um, um, partner organizations doing similar um, messaging, and you can almost tell it came from ours because of the uh, the verbiage and what was in there. Uh, the Larry Schweiger quote was almost exact on on, on each of those other uh, uh, sources. Right. Well, that's great. That's a great you know demonstration of how fast. Uh Technology can make information move through through groups of people, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you yeah, saw being picked up by other groups. Yeah, quick question: How how did you guys like prepare internally before it and, and organize to get ready for it? 
there was a uh, like I said the the war room mentality that had that had sort of taken place throughout the uh, uh, the the formation of the bill and, and the and the crafting of the of, of the verbiage of how that was going. There was already set teams that were assigned to different areas. There were people that were basically um, you know doing media and communications. There was people doing uh, coordinating both press uh, uh, interviews. There was there there was a constant barrage of uh, of different activity that was happening at different levels. Uh, um, and I think that was sort of Again, well planned, and, and again, keep in mind, I'm, I'm I'm not part of the media team per se, so I don't have a good understanding of the details of that. I just I just saw it in action, and and right. it was just you know it was well coordinated, uh, and they had a uh, a, a real solid uh, team team approach that worked the different you know mediums as far as making sure the message was getting out there and everybody was focused. Very cool. Well, it sounds like. Uh and it was a success on all fronts. Uh, is there anything you would uh, do differently next time? One of the, one of the challenges I we we had an after action meeting uh, today that I and, I and I kind of threw out the fact that you know from an from an IT a tech perspective you know I wanted to get their feedback and we were going to put out the a poll to to the internal staff to find out what worked what didn't work you know you know what could we do differently. Um, I mean, it certainly seemed like the, there there was a need for more mobility, um, the ability to uh, uh, to to have you know either more systems doing more. I, I don't think we did enough uh, small video type sessions. We were actually in in in, in one case we we're going to put a, uh, um, a a Mac and some video equipment uh, uh, out there so they can do more of these uh, uh, small little you know YouTube type types of uh, sessions that we can quickly get out there and include uh, in, in the process. You know, I think those small types of things might, might improve, give, give people another uh, form of messaging that, that we didn't do a, a, a lot of. We did some, but I think there could have been more. So I'm hoping that that is uh, something that we can do for the next time when we start going after the Senate. Well, all that's really great, uh, Michael, and I you know, really appreciate you sharing that story with us. And, and we definitely appreciate all the hard work you're doing for the planet. Michael leaves along a little legacy, too, because a, a big project he worked on just came to fruition this past week, right, over at Chesapeake Bay. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's right. They, the they, threw, live. they, they threw the switch um, u- using the uh, net community integration with uh, Razor's Edge and um, and then the direct marketing uh, piece. I think they, uh, that was the uh, – this is the day if it isn't uh, already. Very cool. So it's been a, a pretty good month for you, huh? <laughs> um, I, 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 I have, I've, I've continued to get some emails this week. As a matter of fact, <laughs> do you remember where oh. and how? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, do I, do I get paid for that? Can, can I, can I, can I, can I, you know, charge? Just send a bill and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, All right. Well, um, moving on. There was a uh, some, I think, two or three. Um, sort of social change web initiatives that were sort of launched over the, since we've talked last time. So kind of wanted to give those some props. I um, thought I'd start off by talking about Social Bright. I don't know if any of you have checked this out yet. Uh, their mission, in short, is to highlight social tools and strategies that can be used to advance the social good. We're world-class experts in the subject and have a client list that spans the gamut from small 501c3s to Fortune 500 corporations. 
basically this is a group of really great social media experts from um, you know around the community that have gotten together to provide a really well done resource for I think nonprofits and uh, sounds like for profits as well anybody's interested in social change to learn and to, to share information with each other and to and to act so it's a pretty cool site they're uh, in affiliation. Um, with, like I said, lots of different social media consultants and strategists, and they're going to be providing training through workshops, reports, case studies, learning materials, blogging, and consulting, um, just to make sure everyone has access to the knowledge and tools that are making um, all this social media goodness happen. So um, have any of you checked out the site? There's yeah. some pretty interesting articles on there. Um, and I mean, I, I follow the same, I follow a lot of the, lot of the, the uh, people that are from that site on Twitter. Right. And, see, you and, know, and this is a, this is socialbrite.org. Good point. Yes, it's socialbrite.org. How is it different than wearemedia.org? It, I mean, it, we Are Media looks more like it really is about resources. Curriculum, yeah. And yeah, and this is this looks to be more about. Uh, I mean, it, I think it's a lot of resources. Obviously, just looking around the site, but I also think it's about. Um, promoting how social media can be used in the nonprofit space as well as maybe for profit, but also promoting uh, the people here as consultants and being able to go out there and, and help other people uh, with the strategy. So it seems like more of an aggregator. There's so many great organizations doing things. Like I just noticed here the top 200 social change bloggers. Okay. There's a link to that. There's a link to, like you said, We Are Media. I think it's just another iteration of, (laughs) you know, an organization that's trying to compile all these resources. Everyone in social media and technology is so running in 50,000 directions. It's another great kind of resource for pulling it all together. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes for sure. Melanie, you asked me to talk about List of Change. Yeah, I thought that was great. Um, I've been following Peter at a... the Chronicle, and he's been just breaking all this news about all these new resources, and um, he did a nice write-up about the list of change, and we actually got a few of our bloggers on there, right. Chad and Frank <laughs> and Steve McLaughlin over at Connections, so we were really excited about that, and people are always asking, you know, what are the top blogs, and it's so hard to, to put measurements behind it, so this is a great way. It's based on an open API for waiting different right. stats so it's constantly changing the list of change right it's constantly changing it's also opt-in which uh, is an important uh i think attribute to this because a lot of times with blog ranking engines and things like that there's a competitive nature to it and people trying to game it and the whole idea here is that it's opt-in so mm-hmm. if you don't want to be a part of it you don't have to be which i think is kind of mm-hmm. cool. and Beth it seems like it's behind the, it too good point <laughs> a big part well of she's it, so. the number one blogger right she is <laughs> Yeah, it's, a, it's actually founded by Jeff Livingston, who I got to meet at N10, a really great guy, and uh, Beth Cantor, and then Shannon Whiteley, who did the programming, apparently, for the site. I think they, they list on the site that it's a you know, ranking of the top English language change and cause-related blogs in the world. So I think that's an easy way to look at it. And I remember I read through some of the literature. I remember um, Katie Payne, I believe is her name. She was on a panel at South by Southwest, and she had someone asked her a question about uh, sort of benchmarking social change blogs and how there wasn't really a good baseline for like how many people are reading these blogs or who, which one was the most popular. And I think that was mm-hmm. what started this. Sort of follow the, what is it, the Ad Age 150 or something from top marketing blogs? Okay. 
it's I mean it's a similar kind of format. I think it's called the maybe it's called the Power 150, and it's you know guys like Chris Brogan and all them are all on it, you know. But it's for marketing type or PR related blog, so it seems like it's a similar concept. Yep, it's definitely very cool. Like uh, I haven't blogged in a couple of weeks, so my ranking has been falling like a stone. <laughs> so it, just to, just to prove that it is very dynamic, right? Um, so you know, it's a great way to pick up uh, you know new content. Like I assume if you, if a new blog comes onto the scene and is really cranking it out. They should get to the top probably pretty quick. So I, think I, be great. I don't know. We push out all kinds of content, and I think ours has fallen too. Netwidth has gone down. Oh, yeah? Well, maybe every, yeah. maybe a bunch of other people that hadn't opted in yet have opted in that were just naturally going to be ahead of us, right? Right, you know, yeah. So another great resource that uh, Peter launched, back to the Chronicle, Okay. a new podcast called Philanthropy This Week. Okay. Have you guys checked that out yet? No, I need to go subscribe. Mm, really, yeah. You can go right to the multimedia section at philanthropy.com and – they're on episode two. They've done a really great job of just covering a lot of issues from multiple angles. So, for instance, they do the live chat. Uh, today they did one on corporate philanthropy, I think. And so this episode in particular focuses on corporate giving and kind of gives a, a teaser of what's going to be in the Chronicles. So it's another great resource. I've, I've seen Danielle participate in one of the Q&A sessions of uh of this group and, and, and they do get a lot of people who are, con- I mean, she, it was supposed to be an hour session. She must've been online two hours still answering uh, inquiries and questions. It was a very, uh, very engaging format to follow. And I was surprised how many people stuck around for that time frame to uh, continually ask questions. And then they do a great job of tying it in to their print edition too. They print right. a transcript there mm-hmm. and then nice. they make sure that everything's followed up on. So I think they're just doing a fabulous job with, all the different formats. Moving on, how about the uh, Summer of Social Good? This is a really cool project. I mean, I've been kind of following it uh, since it kicked off. So the Summer mm-hmm. of Social Good, if you're not familiar with it, is the first large-scale online charitable campaign to raise funds strictly online through the power of social media. The goal is to use the power of social influence via Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, and blogs to raise an unprecedented amount of funding for the Humane Society, Live Strong, Oxfam America, and WWF. I think it's running through August 28th, 2009. Have you guys been following this at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been, I was following it a little bit. I mean, definitely since it came out and then talked with um, Brooke McMillan from LAF kind of about it and how they've been involved. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible what they're doing. I mean, they've highlighted some, some amazing organizations that are obviously doing great things with social media already. So tying that in with Mashable and then tying it into kind of charity and giving is, is a pretty pretty nice concept so it's been exciting they haven't raised a ton of money yet but right you know it's spreading a lot of awareness because they've profiled these organizations on Mashable already exactly and that's one of the things that I really liked about this is that and, and I saw this a lot at South by Southwest where it seemed like a lot of the um, you know mainstream media you know, maybe the sites like Mashable that aren't you know um, nonprofit focused love to use nonprofits as examples of social media that works this kind of reminds me of that. And the good thing about that is it brings a lot of awareness to that to that whole other, you know, market, that whole other sector about what's going on in the nonprofit sector with social media. So when I see like sponsors like, you know, Federated Media and Current and uh, even like, you know, Treehugger and Zappos, I just think, oh, mm-hmm. this is great. This is, you know, going to get a lot of exposure to not only how all nonprofits are using this technology, but these nonprofits themselves. Right. I love that Zappos is involved. They're just, uh, they just got it going on. Yeah. I, I was coming in the office the other day and there was a Zappos box ah, right there. Nice. Somebody's ordering shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Or bringing their pet hamster to work, one of the two. <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it bring your hamster to work week again? My already? <laughs> Time flies. Yeah. 
So what do you guys think about this Charity Tuesday or 20 Tuesday on Twitter? Have any of you guys uh, uh, yeah. had success with that? No, this isn't like a Friend Friday thing, is it? It is. It is. Oh, God, yeah. not again. <laughs> <laughs> I think all the days are taken, Michael, so it's cool. But I'm just wondering if this whole 20 Tuesday is uh, actually happening or if it's just people throwing that tag out there. So what is it? Are you talking about Charity Tuesday or is there something else now? Well, they kind of tagged on the the twenty Tuesdays. Okay. Give twenty dollars to your favorite uh, charity on Tuesday. It's news to me, so clearly not a lot of people who follow us <laughs> were up on it, but that's okay. I try not to pay attention to hashtags; they're just annoying. And they take up space. <laughs> I, I only have one hundred and forty characters. Darn it! I need my space. <laughs> Pretty soon, and- we're going to be uh, hyperlinking tags. To uh, one character. All <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we need like a like a URL shortening tool for for hashtags. There you oh, go. No. Uh, you, you just gave you just gave somebody an idea. Oh man, we'll edit that out. That's right. <laughs> nice. That's some other tiny stuff to talk about, but uh, we could let Melanie uh, kick off the Blackbot news if you'd like. Do we have news this week? We Melanie? do. We have lots of exciting news. Yeah, um, Steve was going to be on. We were going to talk about the Index of National Fundraising Performance. Well, we can talk about that a little bit. Um, it was big news last week when we had the call. We had about 79 organizations uh, participating. We actually expanded the index to include the arts and cultural and faith-based verticals broken out. So now they have uh, a better way to benchmark. And so... The news is not too surprising. Index revenue is down 7.8% from Q108 to Q109. And actually, all of the the different figures fell for this quarter. But it is Q1, and it's important to remember that often greater than the eventual year-end results because they're calculated on relatively small number of gifts. Okay. It's a quiet time. So hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, we'll be seeing an yep. uptick soon. Yeah, that was in my notes here. was all key metrics declined. Why shouldn't we panic, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it is true. You have that huge push at the end of the year. People yep. are doing less mailing. This is all direct mailing, direct marketing index. So okay. oh, right, right. It, it makes sense that it would decline. Yep. But I think, you know, after Giving USA came out, this is probably the first look at fundraising for 09. So hopefully, we'll be looking to the index for a reversal on that trend in the future soon. Um, so that was the big news. And you can check out coverage at Nonprofit Times and the Chronicle Philanthropy and at Steve's blog at blackbaud.com slash connections. And then on the homepage of blackbaud.com is the uh, overview if you want to see all the details. And so I wanted to give a quick shout out too to our support team. They were selected by the Association of Support Professionals as a winner of this year's 10 Best Websites Awards. So we were really excited about that. Uh, and a big part of that is our customers that participate in our idea banks and forums. We have a really active, engaged forum community, uh, 14,000 threads, 36,000 posts from 500,000 users. Wow. So it's pretty huge. And we're looking forward to seeing all of them at our upcoming conference in November in Charleston. Uh, and it's a special year for us this year. It's our 10th year anniversary. And registration opened about two weeks ago. We've had a great initial response. Go to conference.blackbaud.com if you want to learn more or get in your early registration before August 20th. And that's about it for Blackbaud News. Nice. All right. What else do we have to talk about? I had on my list, uh, one of the things I really think that's cool that's going on right now is um, at Beth Cantor's blog. I'm sure you've been following this. Um, 
Beth is, you know, the Uber blogger in the nonprofit space, and she's moving across the country. So since he has the most trafficked uh, nonprofit blog around, she didn't want to let it die on the vine while she was moving for three weeks. So she's having a ton of guest editors come in and contribute posts that she's then pushing out to her massive audience. And this is just so cool. I've been, uh, it's just great to see all these different styles of blogging, all this great different content that's been coming in. I don't know if you, she's been doing it now for three days, I think, four days. So we still have another couple of weeks to go. And uh, it's just been three or four or five posts a day from uh, all kinds of people you know from Twitter and you know content you may have missed. And So definitely go check out uh, her blog at uh, beth.typepad.com. All right, uh, what else? What else? And I wrote down uh, Collecta, which I've been messing around with a little bit. Have you guys checked that out? It's like real-time search results. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's been a lot of talk in the news lately about, you know, Twitter and, you know, journalists kind of looking to even Twitter for breaking news, right? We've seen a million examples of this, both in Iran, the earthquakes that happened, tsunamis, stuff like that. So I guess the deal is, you know, with a lot of, not of news, it's not going to show up on Google for a while. Like Google News will pop some stuff up, but it's not going to be indexed by Google for a day or two. Mm-hmm. Um, is this sort of the future of search? I mean, is it is live searching, especially now that everybody's using Twitter, kind of where it's going? I think it depends on what you're looking for, what you're searching for. Mm-hmm. I deal with, here at the Milken Institute, we have a whole team of research assistants who have to do things. And so we, you know, we have tools like LexisNexis and, and Leadership Directory and lots of different places to go. But for real-time, immediate stuff, and I want to say some of this stuff can be very disposable you know, entertainment-based searching type of thing. But I think you can definitely, you know, you could type in some of the current like legislation that Michael's working on and see different articles and read different things from it. Instead of having to Google search it, this is a different way because it does incorporate Twitter, which might not be indexed, you know, yet. So it's a little bit more immediate. Mm-hmm. Are, are you worried, though, about the accuracy of what you what people are posting i mean like uh, and I'll, you mentioned entertainment so i'll have to say it the michael jackson um story when when the, the news was first going out on twitter i didn't know what to believe there, there was so much contradictory information at one point it, it, it was a little uh concerning as all right is this accurate isn't this accurate you, you really weren't getting good feel for what was being published out there yeah no, that's going to be a big problem there was that um going on in iran as well there was a you know a pretty apparent disinformation campaign going on where you know information was going out that wasn't accurate probably by you know a political force right to uh confuse the cloud and it's definitely going to be i think a problem going forward forever with this sort of thing right you're i think everybody's going to have to kind of become their own filter for mm-hmm. what is real and what's not and i think that includes not only people like us but actual like uh, media outlets who are now using this increasingly as a source of information well that started with blogs nothing really has true. changed i mean these bloggers don't have a degree in journalism they hang up on their you know yes. background true <laughs> and or sponsors to answer to right their yeah. sponsors are just google adwords <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So it's interesting. And I, I think there was a big debate because of journalists finally had to rely on social media to mm. report what was going on in Iran for the first time. They had to rep- rely solely on that. So there was a debate that is journalism going to be obsolete? Is it going to be all citizen journalists? But right. I think it's more immediate. And I think he, and obviously with breaking events and current events, there's going to be that period of time where, you know, you kind of have to check your source of where you're, where you're getting this information from. But, I mean, also for, I'll give an example of like the Blackboard conference last year or, or the Milken Institute Global Conference, we had people tweeting from the sessions right then and there. So that kind of immediacy is pretty impressive. And, you know, I've, 
I've subscribed to uh, or I, fo- I follow some people who are in different sessions or, or a conference and you get that kind of information. I think you trust the source that you go with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it speaks volumes to the fact that like if I grab the LA Times, the New York Times tomorrow, nowadays, I mean, I'm reading it not so much for the news, but for more the more in-depth articles yep, because the news that I, that I read is it's, it might be 12 to 24 hours old, but that's old. Mm-hmm. It really is old these days, you know. And I can get more. I get graphics. I can get pictures. I get links. So when I'm reading that, I'm 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 looking for something more of a thicker content. But the information I get, you know, Twitter or like Collector or any of this stuff, it's in there. It is more immediate, but you do have to kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt. I, I think you made a good point that your network kind of plays into that because if you're if you're connected to people that you know and trust, and you've kind of had a relationship with them, or or you've seen their work out on the web, whether it's their blog or other places that they publish, um, you're more likely to trust the source at that point, you know, but if you're just using, like following a hashtag on Twitter, for instance, some of the stuff in there could, you know, be totally wrong or irrelevant just because, you know, you don't know, it's everybody, anyone that uses a hashtag can throw information in that. So your, your searches might be a little tricky, but if you're following people that you know, then you're, you know, you're more likely to trust that information. Nice. Yeah, it's like Wikipedia. I mean, it's peer edited, peer moderated. So. Well, that was all really great stuff, guys. I appreciate everyone being on the show today. I want to thank uh, Joe from the Milken Institute for being out here again today. Uh, it's always great to have you back. Uh, you can follow Joe at uh, twitter.com slash Joe Meehan. And uh, the Milken Institute is at milkeninstitute.org. And Michael, thanks for being on the show again. It's always a pleasure. And that was a great, uh, great information about what was going on with the climate bill. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Not a problem. My pleasure. And, and you'll find more at nwf.org. That's right. And Michael Sola is at uh, twitter.com slash Michael Sola. Easy to remember. And Frank Barry, um, thanks for being on as well. Go check out Frank's awesome work at uh, netwitsthinktank.com or follow him on Twitter at Francois, F-R-A-N-S-W-A-A. That's it. All right. And Melanie Mathis, uh, my partner in crime. Thanks for being back. I think we skipped you the last few shows. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I know you already you, pl- Melanie. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'll miss you guys. Too. You've already Thanks plugged all your that. stuff. Yeah. So, uh, but follow Melanie at twitter.com slash melmatho and uh, definitely read her blog at blackbot.com slash blackbotnews. Well, that does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Melanie Mathis, Joe Meehan, Michael Sola, and Frank Berry. You can keep up with the podcast and other webby things by following me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Chad Norman or by checking out my blog at blackbot.com slash webby things. If any of you listeners have feedback on the show, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. Until next time, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to The Bodcast. Are we going to talk about Michael Jackson? Please say no. Oh, we, oh, we already did. What? Yeah, we already did. <laughs> oh, good. Well, feel I feel free missed to that bring show. up. Yeah, we no, I, I really don't. <laughs> and it was nice to get out of Los Angeles, especially during the, the chaos of the TMZ Michael Jackson stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, because that was just that, that was just down the street from from me. So I I live like in Encino, so I'm like a couple of blocks away from the house and the shrine and all that stuff now. So I'm totally glad to be away from that for a while. There's a house and a shrine. I I don't know who the Shamwell guy is. I is that he was bad? A baseball player. Seriously. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Billy Mays.
Because what were we supposed to type in all caps on yesterday? Monday? Billy Mays Day. Oh, we have to shout everything. This is a wonderful podcast we're doing here today. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking in caps. Should I do the whole intro like that? (laughs)